Well, good morning. That was just great worshipping our Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? I just, I love to worship Him. Now, in some 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen quite a few family breakups happening. And um, I remember one mother who lived in Knapp Hill when I was on the staff of a church in Woking called The Coin. And the husband had walked out. They had an eight-year-old son. And I was told that every day he would come home from school. And from when he came home from school till dinner time, he would sit in the bay window of their bungalow at the front looking out. And his father never did come back. Now, on this slide here, you've got a photo. looks like a happy photo. Um, we need the photo. Here we go. This is a father and a son. looks like a happy photo, but you know photographs can lie, can't they? It's like those photographs of those holidays, you know, where they neatly miss the building site next to that <laughs> hotel where you've gone to stay. And um, <clears throat> it is a father and a son. Um, but the boy there, who's 10 years old, uh, have, actually has not seen his dad for eight years. So the last time he saw his dad, he was only two years old. You probably wouldn't remember that, would you? When you're two, you don't really remember stuff. So this is actually, his, this is a photo taken at the airport when he's just meeting his father, in effect, for the very first time. And actually, within a few weeks, his father left the country again, and this father and son never saw each other again. Right? The, the boy there is very famous. Does anyone know who it is? It's Barack Obama. And... Um, even as an adult, he wanted to find his father. He went on a quest to find his father. And he wrote a book about that quest, and it's called Dreams from My Father. And there is a father hunger, I think, in all people. And it's because we were made by a father God. And so that father hunger can be met because we believe that all hungers and thirsts that have been put inside us have been put inside by God. And if he's given us a hunger and thirst, it's because there is a place where that hunger or thirst can be met and can be satisfied. And so my text today is from John 14, verse 18. Jesus said here, it's in the Gospel of John, he said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We often think as we, those of you who came on the Life Explored course earlier this week, which has been referenced this morning already, one of the things on that course is that we think God's always saying, you must, whereas actually the Bible is filled with God saying, I will. And this is one of the things he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I don't know if you know how many disciples Jesus had. I guess most people would know that he had 12 disciples. And these were the 12 people he was speaking to in John 14. It was just the 12 disciples with Christ. So you, you might think, does it, I mean, let, I don't know if you know this from general knowledge, but I can assure you it doesn't tell us anywhere in the Bible that all 12 disciples were orphans. Right? It doesn't tell us that. It would be very, it doesn't tell us that, and it would be very surprising, even in those days when people died younger, that all 12 of them were orphans. That would be quite unusual. So when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he must have been speaking about something different to, whether, to them being actual orphans. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, uh, and we know that Jesus did mean something more because the Bible emphasizes that God is a father. He's not like a father. He actually is a father. 
and that he has always been, God the Father has always been a father, and that he wants to adopt us into his family and have us as his children and to be our father. And you know, one of the roles that fathers do is to bring value to us, to bring worth to us. That's what fathers contribute to us. And that was something God spoke this morning through Eric Cowell. He was saying he felt God wanted us to have a sense that he is, sees us as valuable. This is the work of God the Father. And he wants to do that work today. And so both Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to bring about this happy result of our adoption. And you might say, well, what's the big deal about being an orphan? Well, of course, if you are an orphan, you've had to make good of your life as an orphan. And God, you know, has wanted to help you in that. If he, maybe you've known his help. Maybe you didn't know that he wanted to help you in that, but he has. He's wanted to help you in that because he wants you to enjoy your forever home with God because God's church, God's family is a family. But being an orphan is actually a very difficult thing. Being fatherless is a very difficult thing. Even if you have a mother, just being fatherless is um, statistically, the research shows actually is not good. It, research in the US say shows that fatherless children are five times more likely to commit suicide. They're eight times more likely to go to prison. They're 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances. They're 20 times more likely to exhibit behavioral problems. They're 20 times more likely to become rapists. They're 32 more times likely to run away from home and numerous other things. And these, you get similar figures in the UK. 70% of young offenders in, in young offenders institutions come from fatherless homes. Now, I'm not saying all fatherless children end up like this, but, I, but I'm saying that there's, that there's some correlation here. And Mark Stibbe, who's written very much about the fatherhood of God, he reports that in one prison, the chaplaincy team had a great idea one year. Mother's Day was coming up, and they obtained 500 Mother's Day cards and they said to the prisoners in this large prison, if you wish to, you can claim a Mother's Day card. You fill it in. We will put a stamp on it and we will post it. All 500 cards were taken. They were completed. The chaplaincy team received them back and they posted them. And then a while later, it was Father's Day. So they thought, well, follow it up with Father's Day. They got 500 Father's Day cards. They made exactly the same offer. Not a single prisoner took up the offer. Right? This is a fatherless generation. We live in a world afflicted with uh, an orphan condition. The Right Honourable Ian Duncan Smith MP has says this, healthy marriages build healthy families and healthy families build healthy societies. I think that's absolutely true. Now, if you know of Ian Duncan Smith, he was a former leader of the Conservative Party, but he was a founder of a uh, a, a think tank, a political think tank called the Centre for Social Justice and some of us know um, someone who was an executive director of that think tank for a while um, and yet um, her name's escaped me. Oh no, Philippa Stroud, uh, who's now a Baroness Stroud. But this, just recently, the CSJ have issued a, a press release encouraging something for inclusion in the Conservative Party manifesto. I just want to read a bit from it. It says, if the manifesto scribes are looking for an eye-catching family policy, they should set out a plan to reduce the so-called couple penalty by which it pays more for those in receipt of tax credits and benefits to live apart than together. I want to tell you that is a crying shame. That is, a, that, that is an evil policy, right? And uh, so they said, 
the Conservative Party should find room in the manifesto to focus the £400 million it spends on the marriage allowance to those who need it most. The Chancellor should look at how it could be targeted to those on the lowest incomes to make the couple penalty a thing of the past. I say amen. I say that's good. They go on, the government is almost completely silent on marriage. A manifesto commitment to reform the marriage allowance would put this right. Yes, absolutely. And then they say this. It's hardly surprising couples on low incomes choose not to get together and get married if it ends up making them worse off. A strong, stable government should be able to find the words to promote strong, stable families. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So... The experience of being an orphan is destructive and let's encourage those people hoping to represent us in Parliament to take decisions and to enact policies that would support families. But I want to back up a little bit into the spiritual matter of this thing because the orphan heart is above all a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue because even if you have a natural father who behaves well, you will still have a father hunger in your heart that goes unmet because no natural father can be perfect. And those of us who are fathers, we know that we struggle to do it well. But many people today in Britain, in the Western world, are very ignorant of spiritual realities. We are uncertain of the reality of these things. But the Bible, if I just give a back up into the Old Testament, actually describes that there, uh, that there were angels originally with God. They were... Cr- Beings created to serve God, a whole host of angels. One of them, one of the, there were various quite important angels that, that we know the names of, like Gabriel, one that we often called Lucifer, and that's because he's spoken about in Isaiah 14. He's the one who became the serpent and tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so we read in Isaiah 14, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. So morning, Lucifer means light bringer, and so this name Lucifer is taken from this verse. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Because, this is why he was cast out of heaven. Because you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This was the sin of Lucifer, to try and be like God, to... Uh, and to, in ch- trying to be like God, he found that God would not accept that. He had a place in God's family, there with the Father in, in eternity, but he rebelled against the Father, wanted to be like God himself, and chose an orphan condition over the family of God. And having made this foolish choice, about a third of the other angels went, uh, joined Lucifer in this rebellion against God, and they were all cast out of heaven, and we no longer call them angels, we call them demons now. But that's the origin of the demons. And we've sung today about God's, the, the power of Jesus against demons. Right? They cannot resist God. This is not an equal battle. And so Lucifer was not able to hurt God back. He's not, no way he can hurt God. But what he did do was to come and spoil God's creation. And he came... Uh, And what a liar he is. He who had thought, I'll be like God, I'll be like the Most High, and had found he couldn't be, came and told that very same lie to Eve in the garden. Said, you eat this fruit, you can be like God. He knew it was a lie. It was just to hurt. It was just to spite. It was just to damage. And that's what evil always is. It's to to kill. It is to destroy. It is to spoil. And And he is not just... 
in the orphan condition. Satan is uh, the ultimate orphan, but he's the ultimate orphan maker as well. And he has introduced this whole world into this place of, of, of experiencing what it is to be orphaned, to be separated from God as our father. And there, so there is this deep father hunger in all peoples. And that's why when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, he's echoing with something that's just present throughout scripture that's so important that the heart of our father God is that he wants to capture people, recapture people, to bring them back into his family and that they would know that he wants to be their father. And so we look, we look back at Psalm 68 because time and again in the Old Testament we're told of, of our God that he is a father for the fatherless and a defender for widows. And so, for, for example, pick, picking Psalm 68, I've jumped a slide, Kyla. Verse 4, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. And what about this Lord? He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. If you don't want to receive, you don't have to receive his offer to, to become a child of God. But that's not a good place to be. But if you, if you do receive his offer, then he will set you in a family and he'll lead the prisoner out with singing. One of my favorite writers is James Packer. And in one of my favorite books about Christian faith of all time called Knowing God, I quoted this the other week, but I want to quote it again. He writes this, what is a Christian? It's on the slide, Kyla. What is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God for his father. Right? If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of, God, of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole, his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. You see, when you have become a Christian, you actually do have God as your father. But there's a terrible danger that you don't really realize that that's the case. And so you don't live in the good of all of that. And so that's why it's important we think about these things. And so wonderful that Jesus would say, I will not leave you as orphans. And that he's expressing the father's heart when he says that. So if we go a few verses before that to verse 15 of John 14, we read there this, just, just to give some context to this phrase, I'll not leave you as orphans. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now your, your version might not have the you will in there. It might say, if you love me, keep my commands. But I, I've looked back, I've, I've examined a book by a Bible scholar called Don Carson, a very reputable Bible scholar, and he said, this is not an imperative, it's a future tense. It says, you will keep my commands. I don't know about you, but I find that an astonishing statement. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We, we so often think, as we've just mentioned earlier, that God is saying, you must, you must, you must. But actually, he's saying, I will. But he can even say, our creative God, whose word is creative, because, you know, he created the whole universe by speaking. And actually, he's able to speak and say over us, you will keep my commands. And he actually then creates in us the desire for his commands, the desire to go after him. 
and our rebellion can be swept aside through his creative work upon us. So if you love me, you will keep my commands. There's a, one of the very early church leaders is a guy called Augustine. He lived about three years, 300 years after Christ. And uh, he was asked a question once, and his reply was, love God and do what you like. Right? Love God and do what you like. Oh, that sounds a bit dangerous. You know, love God. But he, he's repeating Jesus. This is what Jesus says here. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you can do what you like. If you love me, if you love me, if you really let his love in, then it will start to shape you. And then he goes on, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, I will ask the Father, that's what Jesus says. He's speaking to the 12, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, that's the Holy Spirit, and be with you forever. You won't need to be alone, you can have the Father with you. And this is the spirit of truth, verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, then the spirit of Christ will come upon you, the spirit of sonship. And elsewhere, the apostle Paul speaks about this. This is in his letter to the churches in the province of Galatia, chapter 4, which is on the slide, Kyla, where Paul writes, but when the time had fully come, God the Father sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We have an inheritance now. We have a destiny and a knowledge of these things. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to evil. We're no longer abandoned orphans wandering around trying to make good in the world, trying to provide for ourselves and protect ourselves, seeking for a little bit of love here or there. We are his heirs. So many people trapped in promiscuity, thinking if only if I give my body, I'll get some love back. Or, give, or are trapped in drug addictions to chemicals, thinking this will allow them to escape that, that father hunger that's unsatisfied within. But that's not the way. In the light of what Jesus knew of what the Holy Spirit would come to do and what the Father wanted, he can say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Our elder brother Jesus has done something to win our adoption into Jesus' family. And so we get included, verse 19 then. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Your, 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 your eyes are being opened now. You're, you're realizing that what's gone wrong in the earth. You're starting to see the spiritual reality. There are evil spirits, demons trying to mess around and, and mess up the world that are sent to destroy and kill and spoil just like Lucifer's been doing from the beginning. You start to see these things. And because I live, you also will live. You will enter into life. And then on that day, verse 20, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. I wonder if you've had that, that realization that Steve shared earlier. He was brought up going to church. His parents were Christians. His grandparents were Christians. He was familiar with, 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 with coming along like you are here today. And yet there was not that realization that had settled. But on that day, there, there was 
something was saying, I, you know, I will not leave you as an orphan, and Kark summoning him. No. And so he said to his mum, I want to go to that meeting. And she was surprised, wasn't she? You were telling me the story. She wondered, when you first said she was surprised and kept on being surprised. But there was, there was something happening. That creative word had been spoken and a realisation was happening that the Father is in me and we need to keep entering into the fullness of that, that God is in me and I, I am in God. What a good place to be. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them, Jesus said. Oh, do you know there's not enough love in the world? There just isn't. We need so much more of it. And God is love, the scripture tells us. They got to experience being loved. We get to experience being loved by Jesus and by the Father. Now, the thing is, we can sadly still kind of want to live as orphans. We can feel that's what we'd prefer. You know, when you live as an orphan, you don't have any dad to tell you off. So that's one thing you avoid getting told off. But I want to tell you that's a big sacrifice to make for all the good things you get from a dad. I mean... I've used the letter P, but you know, God the Father is our promoter, our protector, our provider, our praiser. You see how God the Father relates to Jesus in the Gospels. You'll see all these things. We miss out on the experience of the Father propelling us in our lives because fathers, fathers are launch pads, aren't they? Fathers send us into their, 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 that vocation that they see in our lives. They give permission to play, right? That's what fathers do. They say, yes, go ahead, climb it. That's what fathers do. And fathers have pleasure in us. Father said to Jesus, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And so there's joy in a father. To know that joy is so valuable. You know, one of the things I know I I realized when my father died two and a half years ago, but part of my grief about that was I knew, I realized as I reflected on the grief, what what was it I was really grieving? Um, And it was this. That, I was, that I'd been waiting for his approval all my, up to that point, and now I wasn't ever going to get it. And fathers give approval. It doesn't start with a P, but the second letter's P, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> approval. <laughs> we, we need that, and we're waiting for that. Now, how do we enter into this experience of God as Father? It's, I, I don't know, maybe touching on some of the things, Eric, you were covering in prayer yesterday. Right back at the start of Jesus' ministry, Mark 1 and verse 14 and 15, we read this. After John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. This is when he started preaching his message. And this was this, the, the first, the, the, the summary of his message. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Yeah, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. This is the kingdom of his father. This is the rule of his loving father. It's near. It's available. You can enter into this. And how do you do that? Repent and believe the good news. Now let me just unpack this a little bit for us as we um, move forward here. And I want to use a diagram. And I can't remember what my slides are now. There's a slide and there's also another slide with three statements about Kairos. And Is there? Uh, maybe I missed that. So apologies about that. So you see the Kairos moment at the top there. 
Now, the Greek language has two words for time. Chronos, from which we get chronology, you know, like times, seconds, minutes, hours, that kind of thing. And this other word, kairos, which means the opportune time. It doesn't really, it's not like 10 o'clock or 3 p.m. It's the, the opportune time. And there are opportune times in our lives. And God was saying at that moment, this is an opportune time. The time has come. It's now. There is an opportune time. The kingdom of God is near. And friends, I want to say to you, to, 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 to connect with that, you can, you can ask, I can email this to you. It's a graphic file. You can have it. Um, how is God getting my attention is the question to ask. How is God getting my attention? Because there was a realization to enter into sonship, to being a child of God, is about noticing the opportunity, that kairos moment. So how is God getting my attention? Let's think about that. Then if you, you, your life is going along in that line, and many of us, I find I often miss, God gets my attention in some way, but I miss it. I'm so busy, I'm doing such important things, I don't have time for that right now. And, um, and I'm busy trying to make myself feel better by performing well and stuff like that. Actually, if only I would let God be my father, I'd be delivered from all that performance-driven stuff. Okay, But we, we, we're caught up, busy, 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 rat race. But if we would notice that Kairos moment, we have an opportunity just to take a little circle in which we can go through repentance and believing. Now, this word repent is not a popular word, and most people think repent means be miserable. <laughs> but that isn't what the word repent means. It doesn't mean be miserable. It actually means change the way you think. That's what it means. It means change the way you think. And, and, uh, and then believe is really what are you going to do about it. Now, let me just illustrate this a bit. 2006, we had the visit of an Indian pastor called Arun Philip, who um, he came several times at that time. This is just over 10 years ago. And he brought some wonderful prophecies. And one of them was about traveling light. He talked about traveling light. And I remember at the time, it was a bit of a Kairos moment for me. I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's powerful. But I didn't do anything about it. There was no, no circle, just went on. Actually, a couple of years ago, Anne Wilson, who's sitting over here, she, she brings prophecies occasionally. She brought one about decluttering. It was a very similar kind of thing. And again, you know, like a bit of a Kairos moment. I thought, oh, my goodness, yeah, I think, that's, I, think I should be doing that. Didn't do anything about it. Um, but actually, more recently, I have started to declutter. Now, it's not exactly that I've gone backwards to go forwards, but it's just that I... Because I think our inheritance should govern us. It's not our f the f In other words, I'm forgiving myself about those failures in the past. It would have been sensible if I'd followed God at that time. But I'm doing it now. Okay, That's cool. And it's because I see that it's important for my future to step into the future that I have. And, um, and then I think of something else. Another story we're, that we are now meeting in this building here that we acquired in 2013. The beginning, sort of early summer 2013, we were negotiating to lease this building. And uh, it was going to cost so many tens of thousands a year. And we could have done it within our budget. But as I was praying, I, I don't know, I just had this kind of Kairos moment. I just thought, you know, I want this to be a miracle. I want there to be a miracle here, Father. And I started praying. I felt prompted to pray that we would get the freehold. And I, I did, I, I kind of stopped. I noticed, I kind of noticed that. 
And it, it did seem quite ridiculous. It did seem quite difficult, uh, unlikely, but kind of reflected and observed that and kept praying it, talked about it with the elders, and they seemed to catch it as well. And so we started praying, and I started asking God, and I started getting more specific and saying, okay, we'd, we'd, we'd been asked for 1.25 million to buy a 13,000 square foot warehouse. This is 10,000 square foot. I'd like it for, for, for 800,000. That would be a miracle, cheap price. And then after a few weeks, I've had this in my prayer journal. I was asking for it for 750,000. God, you know, you kind of feel like you can bargain a bit with prayer with your father. And, um, and so you, you seize that moment. And then um, we got an agent involved, somebody Paul Bunclark recommended, very helpful guy. And we said, look, we'd like you to get the freehold. And he said, look, my professional opinion is you won't get the freehold. He was very friendly, very nice guy, but he was just, that's my professional opinion. And I said to him, look, Mark, we're Christians, we're praying, go and ask for the freehold. And um, many of you know the story then. We did get an email then from the, it was a complicated situation. We got an email saying, yes, we're willing to sell you to the building. We'd like 499,000, right? That was brilliant, okay. <laughs> You're being very quiet. You are allowed to rejoice. And uh, we actually paid 495. Um, but God was good. And he acted. God was very, very good. And, and even, you know, the, there's loads of other bits of the story that we had to have the money. They, they then said, we want, you to, we want to see your bank account with all this money in there. And we had to make an appeal. And God wonderfully opened our pockets to bring the money in to the church bank account within about three weeks. So we could show, and that's, and then we had a building just 1,500 square feet in Thorpe, which we could sell to repay some loans that many of you made for us. And having bought 10,000 square feet for 495,000, we were able to sell 1,500 square feet for how much? 325,000, right? So where does that work, right? You know, but these adventures only happen when you notice the moment. How's God getting your attention? And honestly, that's a rare occasion. I don't know whether it's rare. It's hard to know, isn't it? But I miss so many of the times when God's trying to get my attention. You may do as well. And that's what I want to say to you. Don't miss it when he's trying to get your attention. Because that's when we experience what he is wanting to be Father to us. Now, how does Father get us our attention? Get our attention. G.K. Chesterton, Roman Catholic, said this, The world will never starve for want of wonders but only for want of wonder. Right? The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Right? There's plenty of amazing wonders out there, but actually, are we filled with wonder? Right? That, that's what's lacking. We don't notice those kairos moments. God does miracles, and we're just, mm, okay. Really, we, we lack wonder. So if you want to notice those kairos moments... Ask God for wonder. Ask God that there would be something, an ability just to be quiet. You know, Pam had the idea recently that we would have 24-hour prayer for our dear sister Stephanie, who's been so unwell for a long while. But before we got to the date to have it, God was already answering prayer and helping in that situation. 
God was, his hand was in that. There was a Carlos moment. Pam felt prompted. She shared the idea. Other people said, yes, let's do that. And it was in the purpose and timing of God. I don't understand why it wasn't sooner. I can't answer that. But I want to worship rather than complain. And so um, I, I, I quite often, how does God get your attention? I don't know. This is how God gets my attention. I quite often wake with an idea or an insight and I've learned that they seem to come from God. It's, my mind is obviously quite switched off then. And something, there's just a thought there when I wake up. So I have a pad beside my bed and I scribble it down because I have a way of forgetting it. I wonder how he speaks to you. I've spent many years, there's, there are some people who kind of can pray. They tell you their prayer life. It's like they sit down, they ask God, should I, do, should I go for this ministry or not? And then God talks to them. And I'm thinking, wow. For years I was intimidated by this. People more or less describing having a conversation with God. I don't get that kind of thing myself. I don't have an audible voice. Occasionally, I feel kind of promptings or something, but I, I don't have an audible voice. And I spent years feeling pretty inadequate because I didn't and pretty much they're so much better Christians than I am. But, you know, don't feel like that. Just find out how God catches your attention. Um, I've sometimes tried to sit down and ask God a question and wait for a reply, but I just find I'm sitting there for a long time wondering, you know. So having got myself pretty screwed up, actually, on a few occasions, I just decided, okay, that's obviously not how it works for me. You might think, oh, yes, it should be or whatever, but anyway, you can think that. But, uh, <laughs> but I love Alan Scott's quote. If you knew what God has in mind for you, you'd never be jealous of anyone else, right? If you knew what God has in mind for you, you would never be jealous of anyone else. So just, just be who you are with God. Find out how he catches your attention. And then, of course, it's a matter of, of reflecting on it and observing about it. I, I, I reflected, you know, God said about traveling light, decluttering, and eventually I paid attention to it. I observed, I reflected on that. Um, Elspeth and I agreed that we should do that, so we discussed it, and then we made a plan which was manageable. You know, we'd get two boxes down from the loft occasionally. <laughs> well, other, you know, one of the problems with things like this, isn't it, is that the mountains, we think, oh, I've got to climb Everest. How can I? I can't climb Everest. But, of course, you climb it by putting one foot in front of the other. And the first step is always the hardest. And so becoming... Getting into a relationship with God the Father is having this kind of relationship where you, you, you experience him promoting you, giving you approval, praising you. Yes, sometimes pruning as well. And you might think, oh, that's awful. Actually, it, it isn't awful. It bears fruit. And it, because you feel in the loving hands of a father because only a father will bother to discipline you. You know. I remember once seeing some kids who were out delivering free newspapers. Do you remember when they used to deliver free newspapers? And they were in the road stuffing them down the drain in the road, <laughs> right? I, I never did anything about it. But if it had been one of my daughters, I would have done, you see. Well, when you get into a relationship with Father, he loves you enough to prune you as well as to push you out of the nest and to say, yes, you can climb that. And that's what it is to walk with God our Father. So I wonder, how is he getting your attention at the moment? What, what is he doing to get your attention? What is that inheritance that he has for you? 
that he's calling you into? What are those opportunities? Do you understand? And the band can come up.